Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time we're going back to cover Goldberg's big moment that wasn't, and the time Kane unmasked, and some of the weirdest, darkest, most twisted shit in WWE history. It's SummerSlam 2003. Kyush, what the hell had gotten into WWE creative this year? What are they doing at this point? It's one of the most baffling things in the world that at the end of 2002, and I will die on this hill now and forever, that is some of the most inspired, best week-to-week booking this company has ever done. From the beginning of the year, through the draft, and through all, through the end of the year where they were just building new opponents for evolution compellingly every single week. And then we get into 2003, and it's like they slip into this twisted mind of Vince McMahon bizarro reality where everything's just fucking crazy. Yeah, I I think SmackDown becomes unwatchable this year as it just becomes the Vince McMahon, Vince and this endless and unwatchable Vince Stephanie feud and Vince having an affair with a hot woman for the millionth time. Like at a certain point, like I'm not trying to speculate about the lives of Linda and Vince McMahon, but like, at a certain point, how many times do you let him be like, no, Mr. McMahon's fucking Sable and Trish Stratus. Don't worry about it. It just feels like the depth of this man's insecurity that he feels the need to constantly put himself in relationships with these hot women on his TV show. And like, and it's not just that. It's also that like, he so clearly separates women into two categories. There's, the prostitutes of the world. And then there's the women that are actually in his family, which are only slightly, who are not prostitutes to just any men, just his most hated enemies. Yeah. We'll get into the various cuckolding angles that are going on at this point. If you thought that this was the only time now, modern times where he was obsessed with cuckolding, we're here to tell you differently. No, it's been around for a long time. Sheesh. But really, the biggest story for me as a wrestling fan at this point was Goldberg coming to WWE. I was so excited for Goldberg. He was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I was a huge WCW fan, huge Goldberg fan. There were so many intriguing potential matchups with him coming to WWE. Goldberg against The Rock, Goldberg against Steve Austin, Goldberg against The Undertaker, Goldberg against Triple H. He's coming in right when they need him, right as they've lost Austin and Rock and need a new top baby face. He is the savior coming to the rescue, but this dream turns into a nightmare, and this ends up being one of the worst runs that any big star has ever had. I got to tell you, um, not to beat a dead horse on this show, but I did not watch WCW during the Attitude Era. I had I had obviously heard of Goldberg, especially yeah. by 2003, because like I'm on the internet now, I'm watching like the old clips and everything. Like I know who Goldberg is. When I hear he's coming in, it's maybe the most excited about a signing to a major wrestling company that I've ever been. Because like I'm gonna finally get to experience this awesome motherfucker, yeah. like who was had the brightest, shiniest time on top, and it was so brief, and now he's back. And, like, the idea of him and Rock when he first comes in is the fucking coolest thing ever. Oh, my God. The only – Sting might have been bigger. It's hard to say. I, I don't think there's anything. I think Goldberg was WCW's biggest star. Sting would have been really intriguing because of 
the character and the chemistry with the undertaker but yeah goldberg was the guy yeah goldberg was wsw's biggest star and he's austin's like evil twin and that is such a dream match like it seems like literally goldberg versus anybody is a dream match like yeah. even guys like even the minor guys like him versus Jericho and like them reopening that issue. Yeah. Him against match. Steiner. There's so him against the Big Show. Like there's a million guys for him to work with on this roster. And like he never, obviously because this run goes so badly. Like you, we only get like a, a fraction of what could have been. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's the insane. Yeah, he stays away for so he stays away for over a decade after this. Literally never get it. Unless I'm forgetting something. Doesn't does he maybe do a match in Japan after he leaves? Yeah, he does. Uh, he did a, some, I can't remember if he did hustle before or after. By the yeah, way, hustle is something we've got to cover on a different episode because that's Mick Foley wrestles for hustle. Goldberg wrestles for hustle. So Goldberg debuts the night after WrestleMania 19. He gets a huge pop. He hits the rock with the spear. It's a great debut, but it's pretty much straight downhill from here. It almost immediately becomes apparent they don't understand or don't care how Goldberg got over in WCW. WCW Goldberg didn't talk. He just kicked ass. They trotted him out there every week and he speared some guy and pinned him in two minutes and the crowd loved it. He didn't sell. He didn't show weakness. He wasn't a character. He was just a machine. They easily could do this with him and they just choose not to because that's not how things are done in WWE. They have to tell stories. Now, as a non-diehard Goldberg fan, because there's part of Steve that will always 100% like resent this fully, and I completely understand that. There's also the problem of that WCW ran into, where that was yeah. only half of Goldberg's story in WCW. The other half is, shit, he's super fucking over. What do we do with him now? And they never figured it out. It's hard, but WWE is only, they've got him on a one-year deal. They have one year with him. And to me, this is easy. You build him up, you put the belt on him, and then you have him put probably Brock Lesnar. But whoever you want to get over as the guy, you have him put them over at WrestleMania. Exactly what they did with Ronda Rousey. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. And, like, you can see that the trajectory was there. Like, they clearly had that as their original plan. I don't know that they had a lot of great ideas for like what to do to get him to that point, but they were clearly like, all right, we're going to check off, check off some boxes, right? He's going to go through the rock. He's going to go through Jericho. He's going to go through triple H and win the belt. Then he's going to go and he's going to fight Brock. And then if he resigns, he resigns, but at least we got everything out of him that we wanted to get. But along the way, they have to do all the, these God, the car angles every, every <laughs> week it was a car. And this, this, the time he can't get his car started because they flooded the engine. Jesus. Like, th- there's no other way to put it. They make Goldberg look like a joke. Yeah. And he looks part like of the a pro- complete jackass in his first couple weeks with the company. To the point where The Rock, who got him signed, who got him in because they wanted to work together, came to Vince and was like, hey, what if I worked with Rey Mysterio instead? <laughs> You know, The Rock just always knows when things are going bad and he needs to get away. 
And part of the problem is that Goldberg needs to be perfect. That's the idea of Goldberg, right? He has to be like this perfectly in control, awesome, badass, literally all of the time. He can't like laugh off a botch. Like, cause like other people have done stuff like this. Like Hogan's done a bunch of dumb bullshit where he couldn't drive cars, whatever. That doesn't hurt Hogan. Hogan can laugh at himself. Like, but when like somebody like Taker or Goldberg can't drive a fucking car, it makes them look like dickheads. And this kept happening to Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. The time he's chasing Jericho and he runs the wrong way. Oh, like God. That might have been rock, but it's and then they have Gold Dust put his wig on him. Like just again, it's like they're it's like they were trying to bury him. Now, I guess I'll say in their defense. When he had his his second run from 2016 on, when he got way more over, they did make him a more well-rounded character, like with him talking about his family and how he wants to come back to give kids a hero to cheer. Like all that stuff, like, is kind of what they were going for here. And it just worked a lot better when he was older for some reason. Well, part of the reason is that they were re- – it's a more serious company now. It's not – super serious obviously it's not like an athletic competition or anything but like dropping goldberg in here is a lot like dropping michael jordan into a looney tunes cartoon like it's just bizarre like the juxtaposition of what's going on here it's literally every every segment is like gold dust chasing christian into the women's bathroom and trying to pin him on the toilet and then oh here's goldberg yeah he just is yeah he is not the greatest fit for but it's such a weird combination of stuff. Cause on the other hand, like triple H's stuff that he's in control of, like he's clearly trying to like, he's recreating Jim Crockett promotions like circa 1986. Like that's the most bizarre part. There's like four different influences pulling this company in wildly different directions. There's this like slapstick, goofy humor. Then there's like this Memphis style, wild, weird shit. Then there's like, Triple H desperate to bring back the glory days of Ric Flair from the 80s with himself yeah. as Flair. And then there's like Vince McMahon being like, well, what if we fucked her? God. Yeah. Yeah. Just like all this, like, you've, yeah, you've got, yeah, there's some of you know, the humor. Some of that is Vince, but some of that I think is Brian Gewertz. And yeah. then like Paul Heyman is still involved at this point. So you do have the Heyman stuff, but then you've got, like, you start to get the Michael Hayes's and Ted DiBiase's and, like, the old school territory guys involved. So, yeah, you do just have this incoherent mix of styles going on at this point, which it makes – the shows are never boring. They're just not frequently very good either. And it's like there are so many things that they just kind of drop in the middle of and then just bail on. I feel like – towards the beginning of the year they realized that like there's there's something off about their booking and they just can't decide which direction to go to fix it so they're just throwing shit at the wall like in 2004 they'll kind of settle down on both shows and like settle on a direction whether it's the direction you want it to be or not notwithstanding at least they commit but in this year they're just trying everything and it's crazy so Goldberg's first WWE match is against The Rock at Backlash. Uh, we've covered that show. I remember liking that match, but it didn't really get over with the crowd the way they were hoping. The crowd was pretty much 100% behind Rock, even though he was supposed to be the heel. The only comparison you could make to that match is Michaels and Diesel at WrestleMania, where like Rock yeah. is like, oh, he sucks. I'm going to steal this match so that I don't get buried. <laughs> 
Uh, Goldberg then moves into a feud with Chris Jericho, which includes Jericho acknowledging the real life backstage fight they had where insanely Jericho managed to take Goldberg down and choke him out. Which literally Goldberg or Jericho rides the wave of credibility. Yes. He gets them that literally into the main event for the rest of his career. Yeah. I'm convinced that that's what Vince hears about that makes him interested in Jericho in the first place. He's like, wait. Jericho kicked Goldberg's ass? Fuck yeah, bring that kid in here. Like, in the history of backstage, I mean, I don't know if that's, that might not be a bigger upset than Joey Styles knocking out JBL. Yeah, I mean, that's But this is high on the list of, like, Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff in his shower shoes. Yeah, Yeah, Paul Orndorff in his flip-flops knocking out (laughs) Vader. Um. So Goldberg beats Jericho with bad blood, but once again, the crowd was booing him. I, at this point, they tried to hit him with a car at least twice at this point. Like, I don't know why hit him with a car was such a go-to, but it just was. Like, just like, okay, we don't know what to do next. Why don't we hit him with a car? Part of the problem is there's only two real heels in the entire company at this point. Or, or like three, basically. There's Bischoff, there's McMahon, and there's Triple H. Everybody else is a lot more likable than Goldberg is when he comes in. Yeah. That's the problem. Definitely Rock and Jericho. Yeah, those are two horrible people to put them up against, even though it seems great on paper, because fans fucking love those guys. Goldberg. Jericho's whole story is sympathetic towards him. He gets one good moment on Raw at Madison Square Garden. This is when Rodney Mack was being managed by Teddy Long, and they were getting race heat by doing what they called the white boy challenge, where he would challenge like a white jobber to beat him in five Mm -hmm. minutes. And of course, he'd always beat the guy. After months of doing this, he does the white boy challenge and Goldberg answers it. And somehow making Goldberg like the white savior hero (laughs) is what gets him over, which is depressing if you think about it. But yes, like like the ovation tries to rush Goldberg while he's doing his entrance and he gets speared like out of the pyro. Oh, man. Yeah. This is like the first this is like when it's like, okay, maybe they can turn this around because like he got such a great reaction at the garden here. And I feel like right around this time he has that match with Mark Henry that's like shockingly good. Where like Goldberg carries Mark Henry. (laughs) That was in the fall after he was the champion. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> he also has a match with like Christian around this Him time. And Christian have a good match. Yeah, they have a pretty good cage. I mean, they get, Christian's one of them. If you can't have a good match with Christian, you really suck. Right. But like, at least there seems, there start to be like a little bit of hopeful signs. And it becomes clear that we're we're headed towards Triple H, which yeah. is like the only salvageable thing here. They this will not the hear Triple H. Even if the fans are lukewarm on Goldberg, they fucking hate Triple H. They would like, cheer the devil himself over Triple H at this point. Triple H has beaten everyone. He beat RVD. He beat Kane. He beat Shawn Michaels. He beat Scott Steiner. He beat Booker T. He beat Kevin Nash. He's been the champion forever. He's the most despised man in professional wrestling. So even if they don't love Goldberg, he's going to be the guy who finally beats Tri- Triple H. Is finally going to get his comeuppance against Goldberg. And we're going to get to it on this show, 
they had the potential to do that in such a way that I think would have made Goldberg for yeah. life. Well, here's the complication. Triple H tears his groin. He like can barely train and he's not going to be able to do a proper match. He looks horrible here. He has oh, put yeah. on he has it looks like he's put on 20 pounds in 3 weeks. I mean, he was already not looking his best before he got hurt. And, like, after this, he looks terrible. He's wearing bike shorts in the ring because he needs more support. He literally cannot move, like, side to side. He has to, like, fall, like, down like a tree. It's horrible. Why the bike shorts instead of getting him some proper long tights? I had I always assumed that he borrowed these from somebody like this. <laughs> literally like Sean's bike shorts. If he had come out actually wearing some of Sean's old bike shorts from like when he used to referee, that would have popped crotch. Oh, my God. So I feel like there's an obvious solution here, which is Goldberg squashes Triple H. Yes. Like you Goldberg. just do the Goldberg Brock Lesnar match right here. You could even have it be something like Shawn Michaels runs out and distracts Triple yeah. H. He's like, fuck you, turns around into a spirit's over. Yeah, like Shawn or Triple H brings Evolution out with him, but Triple H and Nash or Shawn and Nash like cut him off and they're beating up Flair and Orton. And yeah, like Triple H gets distracted by that. The bell rings. He turns around. Goldberg nails him with the spear. Another spear, jackhammer, one, two, three. Like Goldberg wins. Triple H, you know, only had to take a couple bumps. I think it works, and it doesn't. I don't think Triple H gets buried there. Like no. Triple H is old school. He understands if you're gonna get beat, get beat fast. And like we literally watched Lesnar do this exact thing. Yeah. It didn't kill Lesnar. In fact, it got him over because it was so cool and different. Yeah, crowd would have exploded for Goldberg beating Triple H in a minute. They would have gone insane. That's all we've ever wanted at this point. Like the idea. That, like, instead of this drawn-out 25-minute cheat fest where yeah. Triple H somehow finds a way, he just gets killed. Yeah, like, exactly. And, like, I think it would have, like, cured Triple H's heat, too. Like, is like in the set, like, I, he had heat backstage at this point. Like, a right. lot of people on the roster hated him. Like, this would have been a very, like, show of goodwill to everybody. That Like, yeah, I totally showed ass and put Goldberg over in a minute. Can you imagine the crowd the next night on Raw uh, when he comes insane. out? The ovation would have just gone on and on. Yeah, and the, like Triple H comes out and just like the mocking he would yeah. receive. Everybody would just laugh, pointing and laughing at him. And it's perfect. He walks out and he has time to recover, and you can do the gold, you can do the bounty storyline while he's recovering. That's absolutely perfect. It's what they, I mean, they eventually got to the bounty thing, and it made for some great TV when they did it. Yeah, and then you get Batista back and suddenly have all of Evolution versus Goldberg. You can milk that forever. Because, like, Triple H and Goldberg, for all that it's remembered poorly, primarily because of what happens on this particular night, they had chemistry. Like, I loved them as a matchup together because... Like, I just feel like Goldberg finally felt comfortable with somebody in this company when he was up against Triple H. It's funny because they did not like each other very much in real life. But maybe that's what made him comfortable because he didn't like anyone in WCW either. So what they decided to do was change the scheduled Goldberg versus Triple H match to an Elimination Chamber match with Triple H, Goldberg, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Chris Jericho, and Randy Orton. Uh, they'd been building towards Orton versus Michaels, 
and Jericho versus Nash in a hair versus hair match here. Uh, Nash needed to get his hair cut because he was going off to do the Punisher movie with uh, Thomas Jane and John Travolta, and he needed short hair for that. There's like negative a thousand heat on either one of those matches. Yeah. They would have been fine. This would have just been yet another forgettable SummerSlam. Because like, out of all the SummerSlams that have ever been covered, and we've covered the vast majority of them at this point, there have been maybe four that were anything other than like an interesting main event and then a bunch of fucking matches. This would have been one of those. The other big story going on is that Kane has lost his mask. Yes. Um, at that same Madison Square Garden Raw with the White Boy Challenge, he wrestled Triple H in a mask versus title match. He got beat after Evolution interfered, and as a result, he had to take his mask off. Uh, this is this reveal was a little bizarre. So he takes off his mask, revealing that he's bald, he has a wig on, and his face is like covered in black face paint, which I think was just his eye makeup that it's smeared over his face. But the announcers seem confused and seem to think that they're supposed to be selling that he's burned. What do you what do you think happened here? Did, was he supposed to be burned and they audibled because the makeup looked so bad or were the announcers just like not smartened up? Because to me, the compelling reveal is he takes the mask off and he's not scarred at all. See, this is why they made a huge mistake here, which is having him unmask right after the match. Because what I honestly think is that that was just his eye black, and then over the course yeah. of a match when he's sweating, it just spreads all over his face. It probably should have been the next. You could have built this to the next week. Yes. And then you could have done whatever you wanted with it. You want to put prosthesis on him? You want to have him be just a normal-looking dude? That's fine. They could have fucking cut his hair. I don't know what they were trying to go for with, like, the half skullet. Yeah. Like, is he supposed to be the ugliest man we've ever seen? Because, God bless you, buddy, but Glenn Jacobs is not an attractive man. But, like, he's not the fuck ugliest man who ever walked the earth. He's not a monster. Like, he has no obvious burns on him. Like, what? I don't think they committed to one idea of what he was supposed to be. They make the right call to go with, like, Kane's scars are psychological rather than physical. Like, this is the only, he can't be going out there wearing, like, burn makeup. It's going to sweat off when he wrestles. It also makes so much sense, the idea that, like, Paul Bear was just lying to him. Yeah, Paul time. Bear was telling him all those years, oh, you're so hideous, you're so burned, look what The Undertaker did to you. And he was just never in the fire at all. Yeah. That's that's kind of great. I love that. The additional shit that they add on to the backstory later that they have to write a whole fucking uh, book about, don't love that. But this one step in that journey, which is just that, no, they lied to you. But he can't break through the psychological training he received from Paul Bearer to realize that he's not burnt, that he's not a monster. He's just a normal dude. So he goes on a path of destruction, like he beats up Van Damme. He beats up Steve Austin. He sets Jim Ross on fire after doing a sit down. They do a sit down interview and Jr. is trying to convince him that he's not actually burned and Kane eventually freaks out and literally sets JR on fire. Like there are some segments during this period that like you and I have talked about this before, mostly off like off the podcast, but like for a couple of weeks, it looked like this could be one of the hottest angles I've ever seen. This got me watch. Like I had kind of stopped watching cause I was so frustrated with the Goldberg stuff and just generally not 
feeling the product. Like this got me watching again that Kane had been unmasked. And there was such a hole in the programming for like a truly dominant monster heel. Like yeah. there just wasn't anything like that. And like no, it's, since they had blown it on Brock. Yeah. And like there was just such an opportunity for like them to dominate their programming with this one story. And all of a sudden it turned out that Glenn Jacobs can fucking act, man. Yeah. That's the real thing they kind of lucked into that he could actually pull this shit off. He's cutting these promos and you're like, we had this guy not talk for five years? What the fuck? He's amazing. So after he set JR on fire, they start bringing him to the arena in a paddy wagon and having police bring him out in shackles for his matches, which, of course, this is ridiculous, but it's so awesome you forgive it. There are some things that I wish could have been slightly altered about this. Like, unfortunately, like the whole Linda Bischoff Shane thing is going on, which keeps veering its way into this, unfortunately, and it shouldn't be any part of it. Because, like, Linda keeps cutting promos like, well, he's on house arrest, but we can still bring him to his job. Like, if you attempt murder as a pizza delivery man, you don't get to keep doing the job just shackled to the car. That's not how how it works. works. But, like, and I would have had him, instead of wrestling normal people, just, like, jobbers. Just, like, the idea of... No one real will wrestle him. Just the idea of them bringing him out in shackles and they put him in the ring. And it's just like Bischoff being the corrupt promoter where he's like, this is what people want. Got to give the people what they want. Like people are going to tune in to see this. And he just eviscerates these kids. Like that's cool. That's cool as shit. He um, choke slams Bischoff off the stage. Linda tries to stop him. He goes to chokeslam Linda. At this point, Jerry Lawler comes out of the announce booth and attacks him, which is a great moment for Lawler. That he's like, I'm not, like, somebody's got to stop this. And he steps up. That was always the best thing about Lawler, is that every once in a while, like, in a situation that was really heinous, he would get involved because he's a wrestler who's actually, he's not just going to stand by. And, like, that's one of the things that always got him so over is just the idea that, like, he was, like, the moral conscience. Like, even Lawler's twisted ass yeah, doesn't like this. Not going to let this guy beat up Linda McMahon. Like, that's No one had fun. ever gotten their hands on Linda except Stephanie slapping her once. Imagine the pop Samoa Joe could have get, gotten in a situation like this. Oh, wait, he comes off the announce table. Yeah. That happened the one time, didn't it, with like the Authors of Pain, where they come did up he? to the announce table and he's just know. like, boy, oh, yeah. a piece of this. Yeah. No, he did kind of a Larry Zabisco moment. That was cool. There was a lot of potential for that that unfortunately went squandered. But like, yeah. So here, so, yeah, go he, ahead. He knocks out Lawler and then he tombstones Linda on the ramp. When he picked her up for the tombstone, I remember thinking, like, there's no way. Like, this is not... Somebody's going to save her. Much less on the fucking ramp. Like, that's genuinely dangerous. This is a stiff bump, man. And Linda takes it like a champ. Yeah, I I mean, he he took care of her. He protected her. But still, like, it looks so violent. Oh, my God, yeah. And to say nothing of the fact that when he chokeslams Bischoff off the stage, that's the stankiest chokeslam he's ever <laughs> That was a hell of a bump. Bischoff yeah. takes it on, like, the back of his neck and does, like, a 180. It's crazy. Bischoff and, is a crazy... I think he had neck surgery at some point, and it's not a huge surprise. No, he took, like, four bumps off the stage in his three years working there. Yeah. 
but like and then they like they end the show with like him like came just like staring down the camera and i remember thinking like that's the most dangerous i've ever felt like a wrestler's ever looked yeah like the idea and then yeah. they screw this up the most heinously anyone's ever screwed anyone up they bring in shane mcmahon to feud with kane super like, shane yeah, it would be one thing if it was just like Shane showed up and Kane killed him, which is what should have happened. But instead, this becomes a well. First, they spin it off into Shane versus Bischoff, which we'll get into that whole shit later. But this ends up going on for months, and like Kane, Shane goes like blow for blow with Kane. Like Kane is Shane is portrayed as tougher than anyone on the roster here. That's the wild thing is that literally like. And to go back a little bit, the heart of this angle is an RVD versus Kane. Yeah. Because RVD and Kane have been tagging for months beforehand. They're hugely over as a tag team. It's one of the reasons that Kane finds his way back into the main event in the first place is because as a team, they'd be both become relevant again. And like, basically it's just another version of X-Pac versus Kane. It's like Kane's little buddy who makes him happy and all that stuff. And he's like trying to be so supportive of Kane and Kane just like murdering him over and over as he tries to get through. That's what it should have been. All these like crazy hardcore matches between RVD and Kane. That's fucking cool. One match where he kills Shane McMahon would have been the perfect way to do that. But nope, they reversed it for some reason. Yeah, not great. Um, so, I mean, just overall, it's just a weird time. Like, their business is down quite a bit from 02, and that was down a lot from the previous couple of years. I just don't know how to explain what's going on with their creative. It feels like a lack of direction, a lot of really sudden changes, and not a lot of long-term planning. It really does. I don't know what they want to get out of any of this. I mean, if you kind of like pin like – because we're headed towards WrestleMania, right? That's always the goal. What are they trying to get to? No, I don't. At this point, I there's no way they know that it's going to be Benoit and Guerrero as the champions coming out of WrestleMania. That's definitely not what they're thinking at this yeah. point. The fact they're that thinking, we get to I that, think I, I assume they're thinking Goldberg. Like I think they knew Goldberg Lesnar as soon as they got Goldberg. Like that makes sense to be WrestleMania. And other than that, I don't know. I almost feel like that's. I feel like Vince's dream is just like we reunify the belts in the ultimate dream match, Lesnar versus Goldberg, which is a thing that could have happened. Yeah, like that, I think that, that, I, they were probably banking on Edge before he had his neck injury. Not the first or last time they said that. Yeah. And after that, they don't. I mean, they don't have a lot else. They, they've got you know they've got like. John Cena. John Cena's not on this show at all. That's a little nope. weird. I didn't even notice that. Like, Cena's started getting over now. He's been feuding with The Undertaker. But, yeah, no Cena, no mention of him on this show. They have Cena and they have Orton. I don't know. They Maybe they were thinking they could get Orton the, to the title by WrestleMania, have him beat Triple H. I mean, they're, they're teasing it now. They're right to wait. Yeah, it's way too soon. I, I Yeah, I don't know what the... Literally, like, I cannot imagine what they thought was going to happen. It damn sure wasn't, like you said, Benoit Guerrero. No. They're not even in the fu- – they're in a fucking four-way intercontinental – or four-way United States yeah. title match with Tajiri and Rhino. They're not – That is not WrestleMania main event level stuff. That might be the least impressive thing a WrestleMania main eventers have ever been doing six yes. months before WrestleMania. <laughs> 
definitely down there. Um, so to get into the show, it's Sunday, August 24th, 2003. We're at the America West Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, 16,000 in attendance, seemed basically sold out. I can't remember the gate number off the top of my head. I think it was over 500 grand. That was a strong gate. I mean, um, Linda reported it as 750, but that, that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, buy rate, they do 415,000 buys, which is down quite a bit from the previous year. Previous year was 540,000. But that had Rock versus Brock and Sean versus Triple H, which was Sean's return to the ring. Like, kind of understandable you're not going to beat those numbers, but this is probably down more. They were probably hoping for 500 here. Yeah. And it, that's probably a little bit unreasonable, too. Like, there's. WrestleMania the, only did 500,000 buys this year. Yeah. It's the second Elimination Chamber, so it's not as special. Nobody on this show is really all that hot right now. I don't really know why, how you could have expected much more than you got. On commentary, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler calling the Raw matches and Michael Cole and Taz calling the SmackDown matches. My only real thought on the commentators tonight is they were dressed too casually. If this is what Michael Cole always looks like, man, I don't know how he ever got the job in the first place. Yeah, Jim Ross is wearing a short sleeve jean shirt for some reason. Like, I think they, Vince had just gone through a casual kick at this point. I think he'd just been like, oh, we want to dress everybody down. I have no idea why. I think announcers should wear suits. They should look like professionals. You I agree. The, a basketball game, the announcers are wearing suits. At least, like, the times where JR would be wearing, like, a vest over, like, a long sleeve shirt. Like, yeah. Okay, that's fine. He's he's venerable in his own way. Also, I just couldn't help but think that like all throughout the show, maybe it's just because they were selling these corny ass terrible storylines, but like they're not there's not good announcing on this show. Nobody does a good job here. Yeah. Again, everything in the company just feels a little wrong. Yeah. Um on Heat, Rey Mysterio defeated Shannon Moore to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. I wish that had been on the show. It could have used something like that. Yeah, that would have been nice. Um, Matt Hardy was supposed to face Zach Gowan, but Zach Gowan um, got had been murdered story- by Brock Lesnar. <laughs> storyline story murdered by Brock Lesnar. Did he ever come back from that, or was that the last time we ever saw him? I think that's the end. I think storyline-wise, Brock Lesnar murders Zach Gowan. What were they thinking with Zach Gowan? Well, they were planning on hiring a different one like a guy, right? Oh, I thought he was the one. I know, I'm joking. And Johnny Ace hired a different yeah, Johnny Ace hired a different one like a guy. But this is the guy that I mean, it was incredible that he could do all this stuff on one leg, but like bringing him in and having him feud with Vince is some really weird shit. This is a weird thing to say, but do, do you ever see the Simpsons episode with where Frank Grimes was there, where Mr. <laughs> Burns is just like, what an inspirational story. Bring that guy to me. Yes. And then five minutes later, he's like, who the fuck is this? Yes, that is exactly what happened here. Yeah, it's like, oh, one-legged wrestler. Bring that guy in. What an inspirational story. And then here he comes. He's like, wait, he's so puny. Get him out of here. Oh. To start the show, we cut straight into the arena where Lillian Garcia performs the Star-Spangled Banner. This is the second SummerSlam in a row we've watched that opened with that, which is a little weird. It is. 
Also, just as a, a small aside, Steve and I recently went to a house show and they play this exact yes. version of the Star Spangled Banner over the loudspeaker to start the show. It's definitely this version. It's fucking strange. This shit's 17 years old. Yeah. I don't know. Can't explain that. Weird. And then they do the opening package, which is about the Elimination Chamber, and our opening matches. La Resistance versus the Dudley Boys for the World Tag Team titles. La Resistance are such a slice of, like, the early 2000s where, like, French guys were the biggest heels imaginable because France opposed the Iraq War. Like, the idea of the French sympathizer, like, the anti-American heel... Is so bizarre. Even at the time, it felt like it was like out of a different time and place, didn't it? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Rene Dupree is all of 19 years old here. Yeah. Sylvain Grenier was like Pat Patterson's favorite referee from like Quebec. Yeah. And they've just compiled these two children <laughs> into like an unbelievable heat seeking gimmick that <laughs> would ruin a lot of people's lives. And make them the tag champions. Yeah. And then the Dudley boys, of all people, are the arbiters of American patriotism. Of course. Of course. Um, like, in reality, they were putting them with the Dudley boys so they could learn how to wrestle. I think this led to an incident where at one point they, like, shot on du- – was it Sylvan or Dupree they kicked the shit out of at a house show? I can't I believe remember which it was one Sylvan. Was. I think it was Sylvain. Like, Dupree, they said, was catching on, but Sylvain just could not get it. So they smacked him around, like, for real in the ring. Well, like, Dupree was actually something of a prodigy. Like, he actually gets pretty good pretty fast. Yeah. And he really could have been something, it feels like. I never really understood. He just kind of fizzled out for whatever reason. But, yeah, I mean, he's 19, 20 years old here. And, yeah, he was pretty good. I remember, like, kind of digging when he got a singles run, like, against Cena in 2004. French tickler, baby, all day. Um, uh, They did an angle on Raw where a fake American soldier attacked the Dudleys. That was Rob Conway making his WWE debut. So... They're putting Conway with them because they need someone who knows how to wrestle. Conway's American. Yes, but he's a a French sympathizer. We're not at war with the French, ladies and gentlemen. No. And, like, Uh, Rob Conway's been trying to get called up from OVW for, like, six years now. Like, he and Nick Dinsmore were the two who were there from, like, the very beginning of that territory. They were, like, the perfect... I don't want don't to think about the things that they were made to do. And I, at least I, I feel like um, Conway in particular would have caught the attention of the promoter. And oh, wife. yes. Well, I mean, look, I, he did what he had to do. But then <laughs> for both of those guys to get to the main roster after, like, helping to train all of these other guys who got called up before them. And then they get called up as Eugene and Rob Conway, the French sympathizer is like, man, there's the right way, the wrong way. And the Conway. Oh man. He did have that really great music though. Like just look at me. The con man, Rob Conway. Hell yeah. His gimmick was that he wore sunglasses. Anyway, La Resistance wins in se- <laughs> They win in seven minutes when Conway shows up disguised as a cameraman and hits Devon with a camera. It's 
not the greatest match you've ever seen. No. And, like, at this point, the Dudley boys are also extremely lame. Like, there's no more heat left. Yeah, they had they their big reuniting, and that was that was great. Yeah, they they will thankfully turn heel. Actually, it's a while. It's the next year before they turn heel, and that doesn't actually make things all that much better. Yeah, unfortunately, then they do the feud with The Undertaker, which resulted in one of the worst shows in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, Spike runs out to make the save, and he gets hit with the camera, too. Do you remember the awful bump he took from La Resistance where they like tried to spine buster him? Like, out of the ring through a table, and he shorted the table and hit his head on it. Yeah, it was their finishing move. It's called the Bone Swah, which was like a double rock bottom chokeslam thingy. But they just didn't realize how far to put him, and his feet hit the ropes. Literally, the back of his head hits the table, and that's it. Ugly bump. No one but Spike Dudley survives that shit. After the match, Coach is a dick, and compliments La Resistance on being clever, but then Bubba, like, agrees and says, you know, they'll get the belts back eventually. And then he, but he does this whole spiel, it's like, Coach, are you an anti-American sympathizer too? Because I don't like anti-American sympathizers because I think America's cool. And Uh, those words coming out of Bubba Ray's mouth. (laughs) Okay. Uh, we see Eric Bischoff warming up backstage. Christian comes up and introduces himself. Christian is the Intercontinental Champion and looking pretty suave at this point with his haircut and his facial hair. Honestly, yeah. Like, we are right about to enter, like, the era of Christian as, like, yeah. oh, actually, he's not gross and creepy. He's kind of cool and attractive. What? Yeah. <laughs> he's got gotten into shape, gotten a tan, like, cut his hair, looking way better than he did before this when he was disgusting. It's a main event look. It's just uh, Vince can't forget the CLB. Um, Christian asks why he's not booked on the show. Bischoff blames Austin for that. And then Christian asks if he closed the deal with Linda last week. And Bischoff says he'll talk about that later. Yeah, he will. And then we've got The Undertaker against A-Train for some reason. Man, they are really trying with A-Train. So there was this thing that happened around this time where, like, every agent in the back was pushing so hard for A-Train. Because apparently he was, like, the most coachable, yeah, I mean, the nicest, like, hardest Seems like a great player. guy, like, gone on to a good career as a coach in NXT. It just never clicked for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, he has a masterful mind for the business, but he just couldn't make yeah. it work for himself. Physically, he's a beast. He's almost as big as The Undertaker. And, like, everything he ever did looked cool. I can't even put my finger on exactly what was off about him. Yeah. He just, like, some people just don't have work and charisma. And he just Maybe didn't. he just needed to shave his back. That, I can't even, like, express, as a man with a hairy back, I feel horrible, like, judging <laughs> another man. But, like, genuinely, like, it would have made a huge difference. Um. So A-Train attacked Stephanie McMahon during her match against Sable at Vengeance because Vince paid him off, I think, by having Sable have sex with him. Oh, they full-out say that. Sable gives her the card to her penthouse suite to A-Train. And they just full-out, and Taz is just like, why don't I get shit like that? I work for Vince, too. And then he attacked The Undertaker and cost him a match against John Cena because he's just doing Vince's dirty work. 
Um, I, I, I actually really like that idea. I, I was always surprised that in this era, they never really hit on like a, well, just give Vince a Haas and yeah. let him manage him. Well, this is the problem is, yeah, where is all Vince's heat supposed to go? Yeah. Like, why not use somebody like A-Train and just have, give Vince an assassin? Why not? Why wouldn't he have one? They have a decent big man match. Um, Taker goes for the last ride, but A-Train blocks it and he hits the derailleur. Taker kicks out at two. Uh, There's a ref bump. Train gets a chair. Taker kicks it into his face. Um, Taker hits the choke slam and gets the one, two, three. I don't think he could last ride Albert. I don't think he was getting him up for that. Probably not. Albert was a thick boy. Um, he goes to do the last ride after the match, but Sable comes in to seduce him, but Taker is immune to her sexiness and goozles her. And then Stephanie shows up, um, Stephanie looking very muscular here beats up Sable until a train makes the save. This is a weird, like the era of sex symbol. Stephanie is really weird. I agree. And like, it's funny, too, because it's the only time she ever played a baby face. Obviously, we both uh, are, are big fans of Stephanie McMahon in a variety of ways. <laughs> but like this was a period where she was not only like super duper baby face, but don't you feel like if they had had a women's division, they would have put her on top of it? Probably. It almost seemed like they desperately wanted to make her like a top baby face attraction. Stephanie's baby face is really weird. It can work in, like, spurts, but only as, like, a contrary thing to how she's the most yeah. natural heel who ever lived. Only <laughs> if she's up again. Only if it's just like, okay, we're turning her loose on somebody we hate even more. Yeah. But, like, the idea... Stephanie McMahon is, and I say this absolutely without any confusion or compunction whatsoever, the most natural heel who has ever walked the earth. She is... Especially once she gets to, like, authority, mm-hmm. Stephanie... Yeah. Like, she wielded more heat Master than I've fault. ever seen anyone. And was uh, able to confer it onto other people. Unfortunately, we didn't get many matches where she could actually take advantage of it. Just that one against Bree. But fuck! Then Jonathan Coachman interviews some woman and some dude in the front row. Was I supposed to know who these people were? No, I think this was just, uh, this is what John and Joe... Public thing. They were loading up on coach for what's about to happen next. Yes. Um, It's Shane McMahon versus Eric Bischoff. Um, So Shane showed up to get revenge on Kane, but it spun off into a feud with Bischoff because Bischoff was trying to stop Shane from getting to Kane. Lots of dumb stuff. They had a no holds barred match on Raw, which Mm. Kane interrupted. Kane tombstone Shane on the steps, which. Should have written him off for a while, but instead he was back the next week. Because Shane McMahon cannot be harmed by mere mortal weapons. Uh, JR threatened to sue Bischoff for putting him in an unsafe working environment after Kane lit him on fire. Which is fair. (laughs) JR agreed to settle by having Bischoff wrestle Kane, but Kane refused to do the match and walked out. But then it was revealed that... The contract for the match said the winner would have to face Shane McMahon at SummerSlam. I mean... (laughs) Well, I don't know why we had to do all that. Yeah, that just seems like a long way to go. 
Bischoff got one over on Shane by showing up at the McMahon house and forcing himself on her. Yeah. Um, Vince was really enjoying this, this attractive younger man hooking up with his wife. Emphasis on the forcing, because he literally holds her hands behind her back and then shoves his tongue down her throat. Also, way too soon to be seeing Linda again after she got tombstoned on the ramp. She should have been in a coma after that. I I hate that I have to open my mouth and say words like, the problem here was, because this is a sexual assault angle on an old lady. There's a lot of fucking problems. But the problem here is that she just got tombstoned by Kane and she's an old lady. Why is she on television? Not have seen her like ever again. That should have written her off for good forever. Also, she's terrible on screen. It's okay to write her off forever. No, she's the one McMahon who can't act. Like it's, it's nuts that we even have to be discussing this. Bischoff comes out first. He says he doesn't understand why Vince is running around the country eating hamburger when he has a hot, juicy filet mignon at home. And he implies that he repeatedly had sex with Linda. Cool. Uh, Shane cuts Bischoff off. He should probably rush to the ring, but he comes out doing his dance and then walks to the ring. This guy made out with your mom. Like, go kill him. Yeah, this guy forced himself on your mother out of revenge to you. And you think it's... I, I just... You know how we said on the last episode that, like, you could not force Shawn Michaels to, like, cut a serious promo? Here, you could not force Shane McMahon to sell anything. Whether emotion, whether it's, like, any move anyone Getting performs on it. on the steps, yeah. Like, he just wouldn't sell. He just wouldn't. Shane beats Bischoff up, and then Jonathan Coachman, of all people, hits Shane with a chair. That makes sense. The referee goes to stop the match, but Bischoff says he's made the match no disqualification and falls count anywhere. Um, Bischoff tells the production truck to mute JR and King so Coach can do the commentary, and then... Bischoff beats up Shane for a while until the glass shatters and Austin comes out. Um, Coach says Austin can't touch him unless he's provoked, but then Shane shoves Coach into Austin, so Austin beats him up. And then he stuns Bischoff, and Shane does the diving elbow through the announce table for the pin. I I don't think any of this needed to happen. It's such a bummer that we had to go through the extended period of Well, Steve Austin's our biggest star, but he can't have matches. So what is like matches, but isn't matches? Him beating everyone's ass all the time. Yeah. For like, we just had to keep coming up with random reasons for him to keep getting physical so people would stay interested. But like, they had no good reasons. This, he's got to be provoked, but then he would get provoked every single show. is not cool. Yeah. It's a lot of like airing. Was it? It should have been. A, that's a dark segment. Austin stunning everybody is a dark segment. Yes, that's a great. It doesn't need to make air. That's what the fans should get. It's like somebody, but like a whole bunch of people accidentally bump into Austin and oh. take stunners. That's great. Yeah. Um, we go backstage where Ric Flair is talking to Randy Orton. He tells Orton tonight the priority is making sure Triple H keeps the title. 
Orton's is like, yeah, I get it, but what if? And then Triple H shows up, cuts him off, and says the only thing that matters is that he walks out with the belt. So already teasing the Evolution dissension. One of the reasons why I always feel like Evolution was one of the best stables of all time was because there was dissension on this level literally from the first moment that this stable was founded. Yeah, it the was, whole point was eventually these guys are going to surpass Triple H. It's just a question of when. Yes. And that, like, Triple H formed it with the idea that eventually he would pass the torch, but he was never going to pass yeah. the torch. No. Ever. <laughs> yeah, the whole idea was he was going to get these young studs to help him keep the belt forever. And as the young studs got better... And more able to help him, they also got more able to supplant him and his desperate, desperate machinations to prevent them from realizing that. Um, next, we've got a U.S. title match. It's a fatal four-way with Eddie Guerrero defending against Chris Benoit, Rhino, and Tajiri. Um, so Guerrero beat Benoit at Vengeance in the finals of a tournament to become the new U.S. champion, first one since they'd reactivated the title. Rhino has turned on Benoit. They were tag partners. I think Rhino interfered against Benoit um, in that match. And Eddie has turned on his former tag partner, Tajiri. So we've got a lot of issues here. Eddie rolls out in a beautiful low rider and gets a pretty good pop, even though he's, I think, still a heel at this point. The idea that he could possibly be a heel... And still getting this entrance and that reaction is very funny to me. Because the like, fans yeah. don't give a shit about what they're trying to push. Like, Los we love Guerreros this Guerreros had become beloved by this point. I mean, really, even a year before this, I feel like they were beloved. And it's one of those things where, like, one of the reasons that Eddie Guerrero winds up in the main event at, at the end of all of this is because it, it doesn't actually matter what, they, what kind of storylines they're pushing. Fans just latch on to him as, like... This is the one pure thing. You can get sell, sell us all this other bullshit that sucks and we hate it, but we're just going to cheer for Eddie. Well, we start the match with everybody beating up Eddie, but then they fight over who gets to pin him. Eddie hits a beautiful springboard hurricane run on Benoit. Um, Eddie gets Tajiri in the lasso from El Paso. And then Rhino puts Eddie or Benoit puts Rhino in the cross face and it's a race to see who taps out first. But then Tajiri gets to the ropes and Eddie breaks the hold and he breaks up the cross face. Yeah. Uh, Benoit gets Guerrero in the cross face, but Rhino breaks it up. Rhino hits a spine buster on Tajiri. Benoit hits the German suplexes on Tajiri, but then Tajiri reverses, hits his own huge German suplex, and bridges into a pin. That was a pretty awesome spot. Tajiri's so underrated, man. It was really di- – I mean, man, Tajiri against Guerrero and Benoit both sound like awesome pay-per-view matches. Absolutely. There was that time where he, like, literally Tajiri was carrying the cruiserweight division by himself on, like, velocity and stuff. Yeah. Having awesome matches with everybody. He just came along too early, you know? Like, because if he came along now with his exact skill set, he, he'd be fucking shredding because it doesn't matter now if you're five foot four. Uh, Tajiri puts the tarantula on Benoit. Eddie brings the belt into the ring. Rhino gores him, but it turns out Eddie used the belt as a shield, so Rhino hurt himself. That was great. Yeah, love that. 
Eddie goes to the top, but Tajiri knocks him off with a kick. Tajiri goes to the top, but Benoit crotches him. Uh, Tajiri gets hung in the tree of woe as Benoit hits a diving headbutt on Rhino, but Tajiri manages to sit up out of the corner and break up the pin. Um, then Benoit and Tajiri both spill over the top rope as Eddie hits the frog splash on Rhino and gets the pin. That was a pretty damn good match. This was good stuff. It is exactly the kind of match that you want from like your workhorses, right? Like this yeah. kicks ass. It's exactly what you expect it to be. For some reason, Rhino just kept being involved in these things, but he didn't seem horribly out of place. Yeah, he was fine here. Yeah. Uh, then we've got our WWE Championship match with Kurt Angle defending against Brock Lesnar. We've got a WrestleMania rematch here, but their roles are reversed. Angle is now the babyface. Lesnar is now the heel. Those are the proper roles for this matchup, in my opinion. Like, that's always what's bugged me about that WrestleMania match. So I feel like it's backwards with Brock being the face. I just, there's a part of me that feels like the perfect match between these two people is like, go, or is like, Lesnar is an invincible monster heel. And then Kurt Angle is like a plucky baby face who won't quit, you know? Yeah. And they couldn't get there because they were obsessed with the idea of turning Lesnar into a fully fledged character, which for some reason automatically means he has to be a chicken shit. Like that's the only kind of heel they'll allow. Yeah. For some reason, this match, unfortunately for me, also just didn't quite work. You know, just something felt off about it. And I think you're right that, it was Brock having to play the chicken shit and him maybe not really being ready for that role. Like, I'm just not sure he was advanced enough as a worker yet. He will later evolve into a great one, like when he's working with Guerrero, but it just took a little time for him to get there. Yeah, he's literally only ever played one role since entering the wrestling business, and that's Monster Crush. Now he's being asked to, like, have all this nuance to his character, to, like, work the stories and lead the match as the heel like he doesn't know what the fuck like he's he learns it amazingly quickly again by february he's mastered it in such a way that he and Guerrero can have one of the greatest matches in wrestling history but at this point it's just not clicking and i just don't think he and angle had as great chemistry as wwe thought that they had it's just that there was always just something off and whether it was the roles or what it's also just not that interesting to watch these two guys endlessly vanilla-ly counter each other. So Kurt took time off after WrestleMania to have neck surgery. Um, everybody thought he was going to get his neck fused, but instead he was the first one to have like the more minor procedure where they just kind of drill the neck to relieve pressure. So he only missed a couple months, which was a big surprise because I think we had all written him out for a year. It's really interesting that he did that. And, like, he wound up having to get a bunch of these surgeries because, like, it was, like, the first. They were just learning how to even do them. I I don't know if you could really say that he made the right or wrong decision necessarily, but it gets him right back. The objective was to wrestle as much as possible. I guess he did, but it was not the best choice for his health, I don't think. Yeah, and, like, all of the surgeries he starts going through at this time no doubt contributes to, like, his painkiller addiction and, like, all the bad shit that goes down later. But he wanted to get right back in the ring, and that's exactly what he did. And so he got what he wanted. 
he came back as a baby face. He fired Team Angle, and he became friends with Brock Lesnar. And then he beat Lesnar and Big Show in a triple threat match at Vengeance to win the title. He pinned Lesnar with the Angle Slam. This is a Batista, you were supposed to be my friend moment, as Brock then turns heel, aligns himself with Vince McMahon, and murders Zach Gowan to show just how bad he is. Like, F5 Zach Gowan's one leg into the ring post and throws him down a flight of stairs. Okay, so we got to talk a little bit about this turn, because this is where we were kind of talking about, like, the conflicting philosophies and stuff come in, because... Everybody gets, seems like they get their hands on this idea of, like, how do we turn Brock heel, damn it? All right, well, I say he kills the one-legged kid. Yeah. Okay. I say we redo Dusty and the Horseman and trick him into a cage where he yeah. can kill Kurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah? I say we put Vince with him. Yeah, so Vince announced he was going to wrestle Brock in a cage match, and Kurt would be the referee. Brock got, you know attacked off screen before the match, but then came to the ring, went to F5 Vince and collapsed. Kurt went to put Vince in the ankle lock and then Brock, you know, sat up and turned on Kurt and beat him up. That was the heel turn. See, and this is the thing too. If you hold off on the turn and have this match at WrestleMania instead, I feel like you may have actually put enough time into this to make it work. The problem is they try to compress it into so much time, yeah. and that's at least partially because the segments of them being friends are some of the crappiest television they've ever done. Brock can't act. Here's the best part, especially to me as a young man, was these two have zero in-ring chemistry to me, but they have amazing sexual chemistry. Yes. These are some of the most homoerotic episodes of television I've ever well, seen. You remember how they would like work the dark matches together and like end up like rolling around and making out? Yeah, literally it would be like like oh I bumped into you. Oh I grabbed your ass. Oh now what? we're kissing and it'd be like what? What? <laughs> Excuse me? That's interesting. Um they tried to do the referee instructions here and it feels like they should have given the referee a script cuz he didn't seem to know what to say. I just I don't it's just so bad. Um, Brock dominates early. He hits Ryback's finisher on Kurt. I really liked that. That's I've never seen another wrestler do yeah. it. He did the shell shock. That's very interesting. That must have been where Ryback got it from. Uh, Kurt makes a comeback. He hits the roll in Germans. He goes for the angle slam, but Brock mm-hmm. slips out and he hits a spine buster. Uh, Brock sets up for the F5, but Kurt counters it into a Tornado DDT, which is a pretty great spot. They botched it the first time, so they just went back and did it again. I mean, it's a good spot. Like, I I get why that's the one you want to go to. Uh, Kurt hits the angle slam, but Brock kicks out. Uh, Kurt locks on the ankle lock, but Brock manages to roll through it. Kurt knocks down the ref in the process. Um... Kurt gets Brock in some kind of inverted waist lock and wraps his legs around Brock's neck, which that was pretty cool. God, Kurt. Kurt could do some special stuff. Uh, Kurt then switches to the ankle lock. Brock taps, but the referee is down. Uh, Vince sneaks in and hits Kurt in the back with a chair. This is the most casual I've ever seen Vince 
dressed. He's just wearing like a short sleeve shirt here and some slacks. When did he ever wear like Tommy Bahama clothes and just like it's vibe out? Weird. I mean, around this time, he would frequently not wear a tie, but yeah, he would always wear a jacket and a suit. I just I've never seen that does it's, not look right. It's strangely indicative of this whole time. Things are just a little weird. Yeah. Brock gets up and hits an F5 on one leg. What a cool spot that was. This is one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Like he he fully commits to doing it. It's not like that, like fake hobbled one. He literally makes sure he's on one leg, has Kurt on his shoulders, jumps, jumps, throws Kurt as high up as he possibly can, and it's a perfect F5. It's crazy. He covers as the ref wakes up, but Kurt kicks out at two. Um, Kurt recovers. He gets the ankle lock again. Lesnar gets to the ropes like three times, but Kurt keeps pulling him back. Like, what the hell is that? That's not how the rules work. You have to break the hole. Yeah, you can't do that. Why is the ref just being like, well? (laughs) Yeah. The ref lets it go, and Brock taps, and Kurt retains. It's real weird to have Brock tap here, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm not they're, trying the to, they're trying to play up that he's a chicken shit. But how is that? Okay, if your plan is the only match that we know we're going to is Goldberg versus Lesnar, how does that help you get there? Well, that's just they. Don't, I think in Vince's mind, you can't have a dominant heel. Like heels have to cheat. Agree to disagree, Vince. Yeah. Vin man. Vin man. Agree uh, to disagree, Vin man. After the match, Kurt like sets up the chair, opens it up, and Angle slams Vince through it, which is incredibly brutal. That's maybe is that the worst bump that Vince has taken on like hardcore wise no no it's a bad one the, when he went off the cage against austin yeah that's a big one the whole uh, match with hogan was like that yeah the shoot, yeah. The shoot head buddy took from kevin owens the punt for fuck's sake yeah, yeah. this is a crazy bastard like runs in the family yeah he and shane have both taken arguably like 10 of the worst bumps in the wrestling history can't say he's not willing to do it first and then we've got a no-holds-barred match with Rob Van Dam against Kane. Kane, unfortunately, does not come out, like, in shackles with police. They've already dropped that. That sucks so bad, because that's know. the best, man. Why would you not? That should just be his shit now. Kurt gets some offense in. He does a moonsault off the security wall. He hits Kane with a ladder. He does. He goes for rolling thunder, but Kane goozles him. Van Dam breaks out and he does a cross body that sends them both over the top to the floor. Um, Van Dam then goes to the top. Kane pushes him off down to the floor. Kane goes to do the flying clothesline, but slips and almost dies on his way down. Woof. This was not good. Um, Kane does some slow offense. Van Dam eventually makes a comeback. He gets a chair. He hits the rolling thunder onto the chair and then like surfboard rides it into Kane's face with a kick. Gotta love that. He then goes to break out the Van Terminator, which this is, I think the only time I remember him doing this in WWE. 
honestly, I've been racking my brain ever since I saw it because I feel like maybe one other time, but like I can't place yeah. it. Like it, this may have been it. Shane took this from him. Yeah. I I can't tell if he was supposed to have hit this or not. Like it seems like Kane moved, but the announcers aren't clear. Which is a shame because I really wish they could have put over harder. Arguably the coolest move that anyone's ever invented. Yeah. Oh, they go back to the floor. Kane tombstones Van Dam on the steps and drags him back into the ring to get the pin. I would say this maybe went on a little longer than it needed to, but this was fine. Like, they put Kane over. Van Dam got some cool stuff in. Again, I really feel like they should have... I feel like this could have culminated in, like, some kind of, like, big fuck-off gimmick match. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's, like, an Inferno match or whatever necessarily, but, like, you could have eventually gotten to something bigger, which is where you do the longer match. But this one should have been, like, two minutes. Like, Van Dam like, tries to talk to him at the beginning yeah. of the match, and then Kane just eats him. Like, that's fine. And then it should you progressively get something and something from there. He should always beat Rob, but I, there were just so much more mileage in that. The fans loved them as a team. They were mad that Kane, like, betrayed his little buddy. And, like, they just dropped it for, like, the weird idea that the fans would care more about Shane defending his mother's honor. Uh, backstage, Flair gives Triple H a pep talk before he heads to the ring. And then it's main event time. It's the Elimination Chamber match for the World Heavyweight title. Triple H defends against Chris Jericho, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, Randy Orton, and Shawn Michaels. Um, Orton is the first man out. Then Nash with his new short blonde hair. He's cut it again for the Punisher movie uh, that he's about to go off to film after this. Then Triple H comes out wearing bicycle shorts under his trunk to give him more support for his torn groin. Um, JR actually acknowledges the injury on commentary, which I didn't remember. Again, that would have been even more good reason for Goldberg to just squash him if they're going to admit that he's hurt coming in. Yeah, why wouldn't you do it like all the way into the match? Triple H is complaining like, I can't wrestle this match. You can't make me do yeah. it. This is ridiculous. And then they put him in there, and they try all these shenanigans, and, Les, and Goldberg still destroys him. Yeah. And then that's such an obvious rematch. Ah. Yeah, he has so much heat where he's just like, it was unfair. I shouldn't have had to wrestle. I never should have had to defend my title. My doctor didn't clear me. I'm going to sue this company, all that. Oh, yeah. That would have made total sense. Again, we'll get to what they do. Uh, Goldberg is out next. This is where he slips doing a kick during his entrance, but they edited it out on the home video release. But this guy just could not catch a break. No, he really couldn't. Uh, so we're going to start with Jericho and Michaels here. They have reduced the intervals to only be three minutes instead of five, which I think is definitely the right call. This one didn't need to go 40 minutes. No. I don't really know that any of them need to go that no. long because like, especially once you get to like now, now the concept is so played out that you might as well make it short interval so we can like get to the good stuff. Nobody needs a 20 minute match before even everybody's in there. Um, Jericho nearly gets Sean in the walls, but Sean rolls him into a small package. 
The clock ticks down, and Orton is the next entrant. He hits Sean with a beautiful crossbody off the top, and then an even more beautiful drop kick. Yeah. Damn, he's good. Young, like, (laughs) slimmer, quicker Randy Orton was really something to see. Like, we've always said, like, amazing things about, like, Lesnar and Angle and even, like, Charlotte and people like that about, like, man, boy, they just really got it so fast, right? Has anyone ever looked more born to be in a wrestling ring than young Randy Orton? What is he, like, 24 here? Like, he would just, like, slide effortlessly from spot to spot. I've just never seen anyone, like, who seemed so in control of what they were doing. His athleticism was, like, boundless. He's incredible. Like, it's been said many times before, but he was the prototype of what a wrestler should be. Like, there is no, there will never be anyone. He's coasted on that fact his entire career as he's gone in and out of terrible storylines and gimmicks, but it doesn't matter because he's just so fucking good. Uh, Jericho gets Michaels in the walls of Jericho as Nash comes in. Uh, Jericho breaks the walls, but Nash beats him up like Nash runs him into the cage, grinds his face in the cage and Jericho blades. Um, Nash then sets up to do the jackknife on Jericho, but Sean comes in and hits him with sweet chin music, and Jericho manages to roll up Nash for the pin. Can't trust Shawn Michaels. It would be really, really cool if, like, Nash could have been part of what happens at the end of this match. But it probably would have been even cooler if we had gotten him in the ring with Goldberg again, because they have so much history so I'm glad I get that they were protecting him here so they could get to that later. But man, it would have been cool to watch Goldberg run through him here. Triple H is in next. As soon as they open the pod, Michaels nails him with sweet chin music. Yes. <laughs> That's such a great moment. Like literally opens the pod and just gets knocked the fuck out. They do a great job of protecting Triple H right up until he actually does have to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, Nash hits the jackknife on Jericho and Orton before he leaves. Um, turns out this is the end of his WWE run. He goes away to film the movie, and then he takes some time off to have neck surgery, and they let his contract expire while he's recovering. I don't think there was any reason to re-sign him at this point. I no, think I... they had seen that there wasn't much left there. It's not like he wanted to be like an agent or a commentator or whatever. Like He, he was done. He was ready to go. Yeah, he enjoyed he enjoyed his TNA run where he didn't have to do anything or travel at all. He brought his spike to spike, Steve. He really did. Um, it's Goldberg time. Crowd is just going wild for him. He comes in, demolishes Orton and Michaels and Jericho, hits a huge press slam spine buster on Orton a double clothesline on Jericho and Michaels, and then he spears Orton and pins him. Like, from the literal second that Goldberg exits his pod, it's as if nothing that had happened in the previous six months had happened. Yeah. This He's is star perfection. Here. Yes. Crowd and he just... out of his hand. He annihilates Orton. He is like, there is no question in... These are just like toys for him to play with. It's ridiculous. Uh, Jericho catches Goldberg with a missile drop kick, but he just pops right up and press slams him all the way out into the chains. 
Goldberg then spears Jericho through the pod wall. Um, he's kind of hurt from that. He rolls back into the ring and Michaels hits him with a flying elbow. He tunes up the band, but Goldberg's duck ducks and nails Michaels with the spear. Um, Goldberg then jackhammers Michaels and pins him. As this is going on, we see Triple H has locked himself back in his pod and is watching this all happen. The smartest thing he's ever done. Yeah. Uh, Goldberg then hits the spear and the jackhammer on Jericho and pins him. Just complete dominance. I mean, he has taken out Randy Orton, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Jericho in literally like five minutes. And like he, they do this great thing where like they close up on his face as he's just like staring down Triple H with a big smile on his face, and Triple H does one of his great facial expressions of like, oh no, yeah. And then Triple- Ric Flair almost steals this fucking match. Triple H won't come out of the pod, so Jericho kicks through the glass, or Goldberg kicks through the glass. This I is, do think he cut his leg a little bit here. I mean, it's not glass, plexiglass, but that, you know, a sharp edge of that can still cut you. I think that what they thought was going to happen, especially with the Jericho spear through the glass, is just like, oh, well, like the whole panel's just going to come out and fold in, right? Yeah. But I don't think they thought it was going to shatter into a million pieces. And then when Goldberg kicks it here, did you get flashbacks to when he did yes. it to the limo? 100%. Because also, Goldberg is a scary strong man and he really does just kick his fucking way through this plexiglass. Yeah. So famously he smashed a window of a limousine with his fist in WCW. He was supposed, he was supposed to use a pipe or a sledgehammer or something. He used his fist and cut himself so badly. He almost bled out and died. I mean, it's impressive that he's capable of punching open a window with his fucking fist, but like, not a good idea. But imagine that you were the kind of human being, Steve, where you were just like, oh, you want me to get that window open, huh? All right, well, I guess I'll just punch <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. Works every time. Goldberg beats up Triple H. He runs him into the cage wall. Triple H throws Goldberg into the chains, but Goldberg just comes right back with a clothesline. Um, he sets up for the spear. Ric Flair... In the, like, one of the coolest things I've ever seen him do, like, just flips the sledgehammer through the chain wall to Triple H. Just casually. Like, perfection. Uh, Goldberg comes in to do the spear, but Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer and pins him, and all the air comes out of the arena. I just... (sighs) It's not even heat. It's just, like, they're they're sad. They're disappointed. For one moment, Goldberg actually seemed right and cool. And finally, the fans had somebody that they were ready to accept beating Triple H. It's like, shit, this is perfect. This could have made Goldberg in one night. Like, he rolls through all of these guys. He finally looks like Goldberg. I don't think that's what they wanted. I don't think so either. I don't think I think at this point they were so mad at him. They I mean, they do put the belt on him the next month. And I on some level, I can understand wanting to do it in a singles match. But they really should have just put the belt on him here. They could have really had something like Goldberg versus Kane could have been a big money match. There's a lot of different ways you can still go. 
fuck, put the belt on Goldberg, and then just if you're if you're done with Goldberg, just put it back on Triple H next month, whatever. Or just it's, have Kane beat him and roll with Kane. Yeah. And then it's not like they know what their plans are going forward anyway. Just see what you've got. I don't. The one thing you can't do is knock Goldberg out with like a glancing sledgehammer shot because this kills him. Once you beat Goldberg, there's I mean, it's not like he has this amazing character. He cuts great promos. The one thing he has is he beats everybody. So once you take that away from him, he's got nothing. And you might argue that that makes him a person that you don't want to push. And yes, that's totally understandable, but you've already paid the man. So you got to do the thing that he, that, that works. Otherwise you're just wasting your fucking time. By the time they put the belt on him, no one in the universe gives a shit. It's impossible to even Goldberg doesn't give a shit at that point. So after the match, Flair and Triple H handcuff Goldberg to the cage Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer, and Flair cuts him open. This is a gross blade job. This is, like, the only time I remember Goldberg bleeding. Like, he must have trusted Flair a lot to let him do this, because, yeah, Flair I cuts can't... him deep. I can't think of when Goldberg has ever been bladed like this. But, again, you're trying to get, like... This is, like, Goldberg wins the belt, but you're getting Triple H's heat back kind of stuff. Well, what does this benefit anything? Giving Goldberg more of a reason to want to win next month, but that's for nothing. Yeah, they're just you know this is very dusty in the horse, man. I but just, Ric Flair is in dusty roads, and that's the thing is that this just sucks. Like every element of it sucks, and everybody else in this match who like donated their body and pushed to science so that Goldberg could get even a little bit over did it for no reason. This just is terrible. Yeah. So I mostly enjoyed this show, even if everything was a little weird. But man, this finish just takes all the air out of it. Like, it just, this is one of the, I think, the biggest blown booking, most obviously blown booking calls I've ever seen. Like, this was Goldberg's moment. Keeping the belt on injured Triple H and having him beat Goldberg was a really stupid move here. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. I think you, uh, if you asked Vince, he just would never have said seen it that way. They never intended to make Goldberg that guy. They never intended to make him, like, no, way above everybody their, here. From their perspective, when they only have him on a one-year deal and they don't think he's going to re-sign, you know, why should they? But again, and this is the sort of fallacy that I feel like sports teams fall into sometimes is that you worry about the future so much that you're not taking advantage of, like, you paid this guy a shitload of money. Yeah, don't sign him if you think that way. Yeah. Like, this just feels so non-committal. Like, yeah, we'll sign him, pay him a million and a half dollars a year, but we don't really want him to get over. We don't want him to get too over. Like, then we'll have to pay him even more money. We won't be able to let him go. And it's so funny because this is the opposite of their philosophy now, where now it's like, oh, Rock, we got you for three matches. We need to yeah. make you look like an immortal god king for those three matches so we can make yeah. as much money as possible. Yeah, the whole thing is, oh, like, oh, you'll work, you know, four times a year. Awesome. We'll make you our world champion for the next five years. You'll go over everyone, anyone, any anybody with any scrap of credibility. You're going to bury them in the dirt. 
Yeah. It's just they've yeah. shifted dramatically. Like their philosophy really changed in more recent years. But yeah, back then it was, I mean, and they did, I think they did give Goldberg a lighter schedule than most guys. I don't think he worked all the house shows. I think he was yeah. doing maybe, maybe 10 dates a month. I do wonder if part of that is that even though like they, they obviously know that their storylines are like getting a little off kilter. I think they still feel a little invincible, you know, like business is coming down, but it's not dead. They're still flush with cash. Like yeah. it's still good. DNA is nowhere. Yeah. They have yeah. no competition. By the time we get to Oh five, everything's changed in their philosophy. Cause it's like, Oh, our new reality is not that great. But here they're like Goldberg who fucking needs Goldberg, whatever. We just did it as a favor to rock. Get over that story about Rock after like two weeks being like, "Hey, what if I wrestled Rey Mysterio instead?" What if he had? What if that is that would have been an awesome match? Hollywood Rock versus Rey Mysterio sounds like the most fun thing I can imagine. I just love that. Like Rock in his head was like, "I might not ever wrestle again." And that whole last year, he's just like, "I want to wrestle who I want to wrestle." I want to wrestle Eddie Guerrero. I want to wrestle Ric Flair. I want to wrestle the Hurricane five times. I'm going to do what I want. Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Bring in Goldberg just for me. I'm going to make you sign Goldberg and then change my mind and not want to wrestle. him. like, (laughs) but it's also like the most rock thing I've ever heard. They're like, Ooh, this isn't really getting over the way I thought. Let's bail. The rock is every inch. The politician that Hulk Hogan is, he's just so much better at it that he never gets heat. (laughs) Yeah. Like you almost saw him like slinking out of the picture when people started booing Roman, when he showed up to help him. That's my favorite shit ever. It's surprising they didn't cut to the crowd and come back and rock's gone. (laughs) Rock's never mentioned it again. (laughs) Rock Rock is just like hiding under the ring until the show ends. You erase me out of that match like I'm Chris Benoit, you sons of bitches. Nobody boos the rock. (sighs) So, yeah, that is a wrap for this show. This was interesting to talk about, even if it wasn't uh, the best show. But like we said, this was just I can't put my finger on exactly what was going on here. Something had changed in their creative it feels like Vince is putting more of his weird psyche into their storylines at this point. It really feels like we're witnessing like Vince is like, has his therapist in the writing sessions yeah. with him and he's just, he's just trying like to like working through some stuff. We got so close to him, like fucking Stephanie on screen and stuff like that. Man. You know, like, he proposed, you know, he proposed it. They were walking right up to it. It, we got so close, man. I just, th- God, this whole storyline could have ended with like, you can't assault Linda. She's carrying my baby. <laughs> and that's Shane. And it's like, yeah. oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeesh. Yeesh. It's a sad, sick world, Steve. Yeah. All right, so next time, um, if something I'm really excited to do, it's going to be SummerSlam 2008, which comes from maybe an even weirder time in WWE. Um, most weirdly, this is the summer of McMahon's Millions, where Vince yes. is giving money away on Raw every week. I cannot wait to talk about McMahon's Millions. One of the wildest things that's ever happened 
the direction that they wanted the whole purpose of it, which was crazy. The fact that he got rickrolled on national television, like it's one of the wildest streaks of television we've ever seen. Yeah. The whole thing was such a, like just died from the first moment it came on screen and they just kept doing it. I love that. This is the second time that in like two months that we're going to cover an ill fated, like attempt to give away money. And the second year in a row where Vince had to have them kill him to get him off TV. Yeah, the fact that giving away this money was just a preamble to his murder. I don't know if that was always the plan or that was just how they got out of it. It's like, oh, we, we got to get this. It's This is the worst television we've ever produced. Somebody drop a wall on kill me, me or something. Yeah. We don't have a million dollars. Plus, we've got a pretty stacked card. We've got... Uh, Edge versus The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match. We've got Batista versus John Cena. We've got uh, CM Punk versus JBL for the World Heavyweight Championship. Triple H versus The Great Khali for the WWE Championship. And oh yeah, this is the time that Chris Jericho shoot punched Shawn Michaels' wife in the face. In the fucking face. Yeah, we're going to have all that and more to talk about next time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.